Welcome to another episode of Men's Bible Study. Today, Dr. Justin Hillhouse returns to continue our series titled, Mad Men of the Old Testament, as we look at six cautions that we need to take when we associate with others. Now, let's hear from Dr. Hillhouse. You know, uh, when you look at number 16, we're introduced to a guy by the name of Korah, all right? We're introduced to a guy by the name of Korah, and he has three followers. He has a guy by, by the name of uh, Datham, uh, Abram, and this other guy named On. Everybody say On. On, all right? And so we see here in Numbers chapter 16, when you look, that there are six cautions we need to take when we associate with people. No matter what you do for a living or where you are, you are always associating and interacting with people. And we choose who we hang out with, do we not? We spend time with people and then we sit there and we go, hey, listen, I think I wanna hang out with this person or hey, I am forced into a situation where I actually have to interact with some people. It could be there at the office, it could be at the PTA meeting, it could be wherever it is, but we, whether we choose to or not, are forced to interact with other people. And so we see here in this situation, we see Korah and his interaction with other people and then their interaction with the leaders of Israel, Moses and Aaron. So in Numbers chapter 16, starting in verse 1, it says this, Korah, son of Ishahar, the son of Koboth, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Datham uh, and Abram, sons of Elab, and On, the son of Pethel, became insolent, it says. It says they became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them, there were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. So as we begin this story, and as we look at this story, we're just going to kind of go through and we're going to pick out just kind of six cautions when it comes to interacting or associating with the people around us. And here's the first thought. Here's the first kind of caution. The first caution is this, is that bad company influences bad behavior. We've heard that a lot. But I think it's worth being repeated. Bad company influences bad behavior. Look there in verse 2. It says that they became insolent in verse 1, and they rose up against Moses. With them there were 250 Israelite men, well-known, what does it say? Community leaders. Well-known community leaders. Korah is the great-great-great-great-great-grandson of Levi. Okay, and Levi is the third son of Jacob's 12 sons. He is the first cousin of both Moses and Aaron. Aaron is a Jewish leader there. He's helping Moses lead the Israelites. But not only that, he is also appointed, Aaron is appointed the high priest. Okay, and so not only is Aaron appointed the high priest, he's also the brother of Moses. And so you have Korah here, and he is jealous of the fact that Aaron, Moses' brother, is the high priest. And he is charged to lead the people of Israel in worship to God. 
in exclusion to everybody else. It is Aaron's job to lead people in worship. And so automatically, what are you thinking? You have Moses, okay, and then Moses appoints his brother Aaron to be the high priest. Nepotism, right? That's nepotism, plain and simple, when you look at it from the outside. And so obviously, he's going to be jealous. But not only that, but Korah, if you read later on, Korah is not a sign to be head over his tribe or over his family. Rather, it's Kehot. Kehot is assigned to be over the tribe and over his family. So twice now, Korah has been passed over in some leadership position. And so now that you have a little bit of history, you know and understand and can see why Korah is going to be angry. He's going to be jealous. He is going to be frustrated, thinking that he deserves a leadership position there in Israel. He is jealous of Aaron, and he is jealous of his other family members. And so what does he do? He gathers a whole bunch of dudes together that are sympathetic to his cause. He gathers 250 men well known in the community. Now, I don't know about you, but does this story just sound similar to anything you have experienced or are currently experiencing in your job? You might be experiencing it at your kids' schools. Somebody gets passed over a promotion, and you know what they say? That should have been me. And then you maybe start walking around talking about it, going, hey, that, that promotion, it, it should have been me. Somebody else got it. Or you come home and you hear uh, your wife or you pick up the phone and you hear one of uh, your buddies talk about the head coach. Y'all ever have that experience? Well, I don't know what the head coach is doing. I ought to be coaching football. Y'all with me on that? that ever, you ever heard that? I heard it. I've heard it. I've heard it in the stands. Guys saying, come on, coach, let me get down there and coach. They thinking that they are qualified to go and to do something. He gathers men that are sympathetic to his cause. And when you look, Korah becomes bitter. And he gathers some men around him. And look at this in Numbers 16, verse 3. They came as a group to oppose Moses. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. The whole community is holy. You know what he does is he brings this group of men before Moses and Aaron and he says, see all these guys? These guys are all spiritual. These, all these guys, they study the Torah. All these guys are looked upon, they're leaders in the community, they're leaders in our tribe. And guess what? These guys, they know. Have y'all ever experienced that? Have y'all ever seen that happening? We can become a part of a group that is completely wrong, and we need to be careful of that. We can become a part of a group that is completely and totally in the wrong. These guys claim to be holy. They might have studied the word. They might know their scriptures. 
But here's the funny thing is they come before Moses and they say, hey, listen, Moses, we are holy. We know what God wants. But who is it that's actually talking to God directly? It's Moses. Y'all ever thought about that? These guys say, hey, listen, we're holy. And we know what we're talking about, but who's really talking to God? It's Moses that has the direct connection. Who went up on Mount Sinai? Was it these dudes? No, it was Moses. Who did God give the Ten Commandments to? He gave them to the children of Israel, but who was the first person that he gave them to? It was Moses. Who does God constantly communicate through? It was Moses. Who led the people out of slavery? It was Moses. It wasn't these two 250 dudes, was it? It was Moses, and it was his brother Aaron. We must be careful about who we hang out with. 1 Corinthians 15, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25, do not make friends with, hot -tempered, with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. You get yourself ensnared. We must thoughtfully choose who we associate with. We must take the time to be able to, to step back and to go, man, is, is this somebody I really want to hang out with? There are times when we are forced to hang out with people, but that does not mean that I have to agree. That does not mean I have to hang out with them during my free time. According to commentaries, it is thought that the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Levi, when they marched through the desert, marched side by side. And so this actually thickens the plot because these two tribes normally wouldn't interact. It's funny that you have a guy from the tribe of Levi and some other dudes from the tribe of Reuben getting together and, and saying, hey, let's do something about this situation. But they march together. And so as they march together, what do they do? They spend time together. <laughs> and as they spend time together, what do they do? They start talking. And so they're marching and they're talking, and all of a sudden, Korah's like, hey, what do you think about Aaron being the high priest? One guy's like, I don't know. And another dude's like, I don't know. That doesn't seem right to me. And Korah's like, you know, I study my Bible every day. I didn't, I didn't see Korah study, or I didn't see uh, Aaron studying. What's, what's the deal with that? And finally, other dudes, they start to pitch in. And just over time, they begin to gather together. And then they want to do something about it. Then this leads us to our second thought, which is take note of what is motivating you. What is really and truly motivating you? Numbers 16, 4 and 5. They came to Moses, and look at what it says. When Moses heard this, he fell down, and he said to Korah and his followers, in the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him, who is holy, and he will have that person come near to him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Moses basically humbles himself before these guys, and he says, hey, listen, God is going to sort this thing out. God is going to find out really and truly 
who is following him and who is not following him. God is going to look into the heart of man and figure out what ultimately are your motives. We know what Korah's motives are. What are Korah's motives? He wants to be the high priest. He wants to be in charge of something, and he is not. He's a Levite. You look at Datham, you look at Abram, they're from the tribe of Reuben. What do they want? They want some semblance of power as well. There's history there. Generally, when people step up to the plate and they want something that is not theirs, and they are envious and they are jealous, what do they do? <laughs> they begin to drudge up the past. And these guys from the tribe of Reuben, what do they do? They drudge up the past. If you look there in Genesis 49, 3 and 4, it says this, and this is Jacob blessing his sons, and this is the tribe of Reuben, their blessing. Reuben, you are my firstborn. Because Reuben is his firstborn, guess what? He gets a bulk of the inheritance. He's the ones that is charged. He's the one that everyone looks to in the family to lead him, to lead them. But look at what he says. You are my firstborn, my might, the sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. And then look in verse 4. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. Man, what did Jacob tell his son? You're not in charge anymore. And so now we have this whole long of history of the tribe of Reuben being dethroned, not being considered the first and the best and the greatest. And so these guys, Datham and Abram, what are they? Man, they want their rightful place. And so we have multiple people with multiple motives coming to Moses, trying to dethrone his leadership, trying to take him out. Korah, envious of, of Aaron's leadership. These other two dudes, man, they just want their rightful place back in the tribe of Israel. What causes quarrels? What causes fights? James chapter 3, verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. At times when we see people grumbling, we see people running around, we see people causing dissension, guess what? It comes from envy and just sheer selfish ambition. I like what F.B., uh, a story about F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer was holding meetings in, in Northfield, Massachusetts, and large crowds came to listen to him. And then the great British Bible teacher showed up, uh, uh, Campbell Morgan. Uh, he came to Northfield, and people began to leave uh, F.B. Meyer and go and listen to Pastor Morgan. And soon... Meyer became jealous, and Meyer actually confessed this. He said this, the only way I can conquer my feelings is to pray for Morgan Daly, which I do. Meyer admitted, hey, I'm envious. I'm envious that there is somebody else that showed up and that's doing a better job. Gentlemen, let, let me just kind of 
and this, this is a tough pill to swallow, but guys, there is somebody out there in this world that is better looking than you. I know, I know. They're smarter than you. They are more talented than you. There is always someone better than you and me. There always is. And guys, that's a tough pill to swallow, is it not? And it is easy to become envious. It's easy to become envious and say, hey, listen, I want that or I can do that and I can do that even better when the reality is, is can you really? The answer is, most of the time, it's, it's not. Let's keep on going. Our third thought is this. Contentment is an asset. Contentment is an asset. Look at what Moses says to these dudes, okay? Look at what he says. Moses also said to Korah, Now listen, you Levites. Isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near to himself to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and to minister to them. He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near to himself, but now you are trying to get to the priesthood too. What does Moses do? He essentially tells Korah, are you not content with what God has you doing right here, right now? I mean, God has separated your whole tribe. The whole point of the Levi tribe is to minister to the Israelites. That's their job. That's what they do. And Moses points that out. He says, hey, listen, don't you know, don't you understand? God has separated you out. God has called you out. God has put a special calling on your life to go out there and to minister. So are you not satisfied with that? Philippians 4.11. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. That's what Paul wrote. No matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, I have learned to become content with the circumstances. Gentlemen, God has called us to become content with right where we are doing right what we're supposed to do. It is him that promotes, and it is him that demotes, Scripture tells us. 1 Timothy 6.6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Gentlemen, God wants us to be content with where we are right now, trusting in him fully. So in short, the next day, the group meets to hang out with Moses and Aaron and to figure out who God wants to lead. And this leads us to our forethought, and that is this. Nothing beneficial comes from a fight. Nothing beneficial comes from a fight. Numbers 16, 20, uh, 20 through 26. And we're just going to focus right here on 20 through 22, <coughs> starting in verse 19. When Korah had gathered all of his followers in opposition to them at the entrance of the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, look at this in verse 21, separate yourselves from the assembly so I can put an end to them 
at once. Woo. But Moses and Aaron fell face down and cried out, O oh God, the God who gives breath to all living things, will you be angry with the entire assembly when only one man sins? Boy, I really like that. Moses and Aaron go before God and say, Hey, are, are you going to wipe them all out? When just there's one guy that's really leading the charge? Thank God, what, what are you going to do? Well, our lives are characterized by strife. And we know that when we walk out of these doors, we, we have a fight before us. There is a fight for our souls. There is a fight uh, in business. We have to fight for our families. We have to fight for our kids. My question is, is why do we have to pick a fight with each other? Why do we have to continually have fights and quarrels when there is no need for it? To be honest, there's no need for this fight. There's no need for this quarrel. But somebody is so selfish. People are so ambitious. They want what they think they deserve. That they're willing to pick another fight. Proverbs 17, 14. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. I tell you what, that, that's some good, good advice right there, is it not? Just go ahead and drop it. You know what Korah should have done? He probably could have been angry and then he got, eh, oh well. That's just the way the cookie crumbles. Or I just need to accept what God has called me to do, but no. He chooses to go and to pick a fight and to try to usurp Moses and Aaron. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives, uh, that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, look at this, and a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. And God doesn't like that. God hates that. God wants unity, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. And that leads us to the fifth thing is go out and seek wise counsel. Listen to wise counsel. Take time to listen to others. Look at what it says here in 16, 23 through 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the assembly, move away from the tents of Korah, Datham, and Abram. Moses got up and went to Datham and Abram, and the elders of Israel followed him. He warned the assembly, move back from the tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them, or you will be swept away because of all their sins. Now, I just want to take a moment here and stop and say, you remember the very first verse we read? There were three guys that came to Moses. There was Datham, there was Abram, and then who was the third guy? On. You notice he's not, you notice he's not here? 
Have you noticed that? Have you noticed in all the scripture we've read, On's not around. He's off. He's off. <laughs> On is off. <laughs> He's mentioned as one of the rebels at the very beginning. But where is On now? He's nowhere to be found. What did he do? What did he do? Rabbinic legend actually has it that it is On's wife that came to On and rebuked him for being part of the rebellion. And she said, hey, On, you're off. No more. You need to shut it down. A godly spouse, and that's just, that's rabbinic legend, okay? That's just kind of what the rabbis have come to the conclusion of. But here's, here's the thing to note. On is not in this passage. There's no more mention of On. Obviously, something happened in On's life in which God got a hold of him, and he started to listen to wise counsel. Gentlemen, God has put in your life men and women that are full of wisdom. One of the most frustrating things for me, or actually not for me, for my wife in our marriage is that I will come home, I will be frustrated, she will say something that is totally wise. I will sit there and stew for a little while, right? It might go on for days, it might go on for weeks, and then I'll talk to another dude, and another dude will say something to me. The exact same thing I said to my wife. I'll come home and I'll say, well, I was talking with so-and-so, and they said this. And what will she say? That's what I've been saying for the past three weeks, right? Dummy, thank you for that. I didn't need that. <laughs> Guys, same thing. God has put godly women in our lives. Listen to them. Dudes, guys, God has put godly men into your lives. Listen to them. They know what they are talking about. Take a step back and go, man, is what I'm doing really what God wants me to do? She rebukes him. Be open to counsel. On the other hand, go look in the New Testament, and you have Ananias and Sapphira. And what happened to them? You have a guy that's gone on, and he said, hey, listen, I sold uh, this land for this property, and I'm giving it to God, and what happens? The Holy Spirit drops him dead. And then what happens is his wife comes in. And what does she do? She toes the line. We sold this property, me and my husband, and now we have that, boom, drops. Not wise counsel. Guys, listen to wise counsel. Anything that gets hurried, anything that gets rushed, when people get riled up, things can go wrong. Slow down. Proverbs 19, 20, and 21, listen to the advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Listen to advice and accept discipline. Guys, do you hear from other guys that like, hey, dude, you shouldn't do that, and what you're doing is wrong? What you're doing is not right, and what you're doing is wrong. Are you humble enough to accept that advice and go, you know what, you're, you're right, and I need to change 
my ways. Sixth and finally, strong unity can fight and conquer large numbers. Strong unity can fight and conquer large numbers. Numbers 16, 28 through uh, 33. This is so cool. This is the best part of the whole story. Then Moses said, this is how you know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it is not my idea. Here's what Moses says. This is not my idea. I'm just simply doing what God has called me to do. I'm following what God told me to do. I instilled Aaron, not because I wanted to install Aaron, my boneheaded brother, to be the high priest, but that rather is what God wanted. Verse 29, if these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. And then look at verse 30, but if the Lord brings about something totally new, in other words, if God shows up and he does something that we've never seen before, everybody look out. He says this, but if the Lord shows up and brings about something totally new, and then look at this, and if the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them, and they go alive down into the realm of the dead, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. They went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. The earth closed over them, and they perished and were gone from the community. That's so cool. I mean, that's cool, right? I mean, he says, hey, look, if these guys are really speaking the truth, then you know what? They're going to continue to live. But if they don't, and if they're not, then guess what? They have been held in contempt by God and made the earth open up and swallow not just them, but their whole families and everything that they own. And that as soon as he got done saying it, could you imagine seeing that? If I was an Israelite at the time, I got to admit, I would totally freak out, wouldn't you? I'd be like, dude, Moses is the man and I love Aaron too. You know what I mean? That's what I would be like. Moses is a man, and Aaron's the dude. Man, God brought about swift and quick judgment. You know what I like about Moses and Aaron is they stuck together on the deal. They were unified. They were small. Because here's the interesting fact is nobody else from Israel, nobody else from the camp backed them up. It was those two against a minimum of 250 people. Holy people, by the way. Nobody else from Israel stood up and said, no, what you're doing is wrong. Israel just kind of stood back. Gentlemen, I just kind of want to throw this out there as a thought. This isn't even in my notes, but I think it's important. When men of God or when people are being attacked wrongfully, we should run to their aid. Moses and Aaron should have not had to fight the fight all by themselves. God had to show up and take care of it himself. 
What would have happened if the people of Israel said, we follow God, and because we follow God, we follow Moses and Aaron because God has called them. They've delivered us. I mean, look at all that Moses has done. He's gone up on Mount Sinai. He's seen God. He's seen the back of God. He's got the Ten Commandments. They've been with Moses during the Ten Plagues. They've been with Moses through the Red Sea. Wouldn't you think Moses has kind of earned a little respect? Yeah. Don't you think you would have a little street cred? Absolutely. Come on. But no, what does Israel do? They just hang back. Well, let's just see how this plays out. Nobody runs to the defense of Moses and Aaron. Gentlemen, run to the, to the defense of those that need it, that those that God has placed over, over us or around us that are being attacked. Don't let them fight the fight on their own. At least join them. At least don't let them be one, but join them and be two. Moses and Aaron stick to their guns, and God shows up. There is an anointing and there is a blessing when there is unity. Do you hear me? Scripture talks all through in the New Testament about us being one body, being one faith, being one community. God wants us as Christians and as a church to be unified. Uh, snowflakes are the most fragile things in all of nature. Snowflakes are. But you put enough of them together, look at what happens. They can kill you. That little bitty snowflake falling out there, you better watch out. If he brings enough of his buddies, you're in trouble, amen? You are in serious trouble. And so, guys, I, I, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to bind together. Bind together and see what God can do. Two guys held together, and God just showed up, and he opened up the earth. They fell in, and he closed it up. How cool is that? Could you imagine, men, if we bound together and we got unified behind one goal, one purpose, the goal to go out and to tell people about Jesus, to bring them here so that they could hear the word of God being preached and being taught? Can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine what would happen if we were unified in serving and passionate about just simply reaching the next person through our doors? by either serving in the children's or the student ministry or serving in connections or stepping up to the plate and saying, you know what, I'm going to be a teacher or I'm going to be a director or I'm going to be a positive influence in my life group. Could you imagine if we just all bound together behind the vision of our pastor and just said, hey, listen, we're going to go and we're going to reach this area. We would become unstoppable. God would not open up the ground, but rather he would open up the floodgates. He would open up the floodgates of blessing. And his spirit would be spread all throughout Allen, McKinney, and Plano, and to the further north and to further south. Psalm 133, 133, how good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in what? Unity. It is like precious oil 
poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Philippians 2.2. Then my joy, complete by being made, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Gentlemen, I just want to challenge you. Find those other dudes that you can unite with, that you can bond with, that you can grow with, and that you can serve with. Passionately doing what God has called each one of us to do. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for uh, John Marker, senior pastor. God, I lift him up to you. I ask that you would uh, heal him quickly. Father, as we go out today, may we be very cautious in who we associate with. May we be cautious and may our spirits be tender to what is going on in other people's lives. May we be able to recognize selfish ambition. May we recognize envy. May we run to those who need our support. May we bind with them, Father, and, and, and hold together with them. Not let them stand on their own, but be that brother that they need at that moment. Father, uh, as we go out into this dark and bland world, may we be salt and may we be light. Man, we love you, Lord Jesus, and thank you for what you did upon the cross for us 2,000 years ago. It's in your name we pray, amen and amen. Y'all have a great week. We'll see you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's Bible study. For more information regarding Cottonwood Creek, go to cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you tune in next week for more episodes of Men's Bible Study.